Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today is Joe Healy. It is November now. That means the World Series is over. As we record this, college basketball is starting. You know, we are we are moving rapidly along into winter. Joe, just uh, as, as we move into our baseballist next couple months, uh, which for us won't really be baseballist as we have a lot of work to do before opening day. But are you into the more into the football this time of year? Are you excited about basketball season? Are you are you in the hockey? Where, where are we at in the sports calendar for for you? It's a mix. I uh, hockey's a new entrant for me. Growing up in Houston, I didn't watch a ton of hockey obviously. Um, but since I moved up to the Midwest, uh, I've started paying a little more attention to it. I live in the kind of in the St. Louis area, so I've been following the blues. That was a lot of fun, particularly last year. Um, but that's probably in third place there. The way it usually goes is about this time of year. And you mentioned college basketball starting as we record this tonight. Um, I get really into the college basketball right away. Like I'll, I'll probably watch tonight, especially like the the champions classic and, and what have you. And I'll do that for a couple weeks up until a little before Thanksgiving. Meanwhile, still watching college football on the weekends. But then when, when basketball kind of gets into the, those, that kind of lull in the schedule when the, the early season stuff is passed, but conference play hasn't started, I go jump back into full college football, and that's probably what I follow the most. And then obviously college basketball kind of brings us home uh, into college baseball season. And that's this, you know, this is the way I always think about it. And I'm constantly trying to find ways in which I can convince myself that college baseball isn't that far away. And the way I do it is thinking about the fact that you know, with college basketball starting, um, by the time college basketball is over, uh, the college baseball season will be about halfway done. So, um, you know, we, we don't have that much longer to go. And of course that that's a double-edged sword because thinking about, you know, uh, college basketball season leading us right into the middle of the college baseball season just makes it seem like it's, it's right around the corner. And we've got, as you mentioned, a lot of stuff to do <laughs> before that point. But, um, but yeah, so mostly uh, mostly college football, I would say, but but college basketball certainly, at least initially, I kind of I follow it with a close eye, and then then but really pick that up after New Year's. Yeah, I'm definitely fully immersed in like college football at this point. Uh, you know, Maction starts tonight as well. My alma mater is playing at Western Michigan tonight uh, to kick off the month of Maction. I uh, I have to say, I'm more into college basketball these days than I had been in recent years. So I don't know what that'll translate to, but that that's exciting. Uh, the way that the season's starting this year, the problem with college basketball is that by the time February comes around, that's really when it's heating up. And that's right. when I have to like fully withdraw fr- from it and pretend that I know what I'm doing when I like get handed a bracket or something. We're going to make it though through these next few months without any baseball. The World Series was exciting. I actually got, was randomly at the parade uh, in Washington (laughs) over the weekend. Uh, So that was cool. Uh, I've never experienced that as a Clevelander. Uh, I was not at home when uh, the Cavs won the title. I was in Omaha. Uh, So that was was the first time I've ever seen a championship parade, which that was was an interesting experience. Um, So there's a lot going on. Uh, even though there's not a lot going on in the, the college baseball world, it, it seems like. Uh, but there is a lot going on. We are a week away from signing day. And while signing day in baseball is not what it is in football, um, I think a lot of people are happy about that. Uh, it is still an exciting day for all of the high school seniors and junior college players who can officially say what they're doing with the next step of their baseball career uh, and their education. 
So that, that's an exciting day next week. And with that will come an array of content at baseballamerica.com. I will have 2020 recruiting class rankings next week. And next week's podcast will be signing day themed. Last year, we were able to bring on several coaches to talk about their recruiting classes. We had Alabama's Brad Bohannon, Oklahoma's Skip Johnson, Auburn's Butch Thompson, and we might have had a fourth, and I am totally forgetting who that would have been if there was one. It might have just been those three. Uh, I am hoping that we can do something like that again, but full disclosure, I haven't booked anyone yet, so we will see how that goes. Uh, But I, I think that that can be a fun show again next week. Uh, as signing day rapidly approaches and everyone's trying to put the finishing touches on on their 2020 recruiting classes uh, as as we approach that date. Joe, like I said, there's there's a big difference between football signing day and what you see on ESPN and what we have in baseball. Do you wish that baseball was more like football with the the caps and the signing day announcements or, or, you know, is that... Is that really not your your style? No, I wish there was more of it just from the standpoint of not necessarily just for the sake of the pomp and circumstance, but I wish there was a little bit more of it just because it would mean college baseball is in a little bit uh, bigger place than it is right now. And obviously I'm a proponent of that and, and wanting college baseball to continue to grow. And um, I'm not saying necessarily that would be um, uh, necessarily the, the biggest sign of growth, but I think it would be a, a step in that direction if you could kind of create some buzz around signing day. Uh, and the way that that it is with football and basketball and and, and those sports. So uh, now that being said, I mean, some of this stuff does kind of border on the absurd these days. Um, And I'm not going to do, you know, an old man yells at cloud routine where I I rail on the the kids these days and, you know, uh, turning turning their their commitments into these huge spectacles on TV. Because I think, look, I mean, if you're an 18 year old kid or I guess you'd be a little younger than that. But if you're, you're a teenage kid committing to a school and um, if I was in their position, I would probably make a big deal out of it too, because this is one of the most exciting days of that kid's life. And it's something they're going to remember for the rest of their life. And it, it may continue to be one of the most exciting days of their life. So, I mean, why not let them have a little bit of fun with it? As They're not hurting anybody. They're just having a good time with it. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, I don't get really necessarily some of the, 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 uh, the crankiness around stuff like that, but some of it does, I will admit kind of border on absurdity, but, but I, I'd just like to see more of it because it means that college baseball recruiting specifically has become a bigger deal. And, and I know college baseball recruiting, and you know this better than I do, Teddy, it's it's a, a fickle thing because unlike other sports where you don't have to worry about, you know, losing your recruits out from under you because of the draft, uh, you have to worry about that in baseball. And so it makes recruiting a pretty inexact science. Um, so I know it's always going to be tough for baseball recruiting to be on a similar scale, um, but it would be nice if it inched in that direction at least. On that note, if any uncommitted 2020 player wants to announce their commitment on the Baseball America College podcast next week, I am 100% here for that. Oh, absolutely. Please. Uh, You know where to find me on Twitter, at Ted Cahill. My DMs are open. You can also email me, teddy.cahill at baseballamerica.com. I am 1,000% serious about that. But that is for next week. This week, we have Cal Poly coach Larry Lee joining us. And the Mustangs actually brought in a a pretty strong recruiting class this fall. Uh, They just missed the top 25, but 
uh, were listed among the, the 10 classes that just missed out. Uh, that class was headlined by Larry's son, Brooks, who was a top, one of the best hitters in, in California last year. Uh, he's a shortstop, big time recruit for them, but it's more than, than, than just Brooks. And uh, we will talk about that with Larry uh, coming up here in a second. But before we get to to Coach Lee, I just want to mention all the other things going on at Baseball America right now. There are a lot of them. It is a busy time as we head into prospect season. The top 10 prospects uh, that you know and love for, for each of the 30 big league teams are starting to go online. Uh, we're in the East divisions right now, specifically the NL East. Uh, so you make sure to follow those throughout the, uh, the next couple months. Uh, and, of course, you can get the full 30s with all of our reports and everything that goes along with them in the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, which you can pre-order at store.baseballamerica.com. You can also pre-order the Almanac, which we are working to put the finishing touches on this week. And, of course, I've mentioned it several times before, ahead of the class, Baseball America's latest uh, addition to the the book front. With uh, It's all about college baseball, looking back the last 40 years all of the best players, best teams, uh, most exciting moments, everything that you loved about college baseball over the last four decades, you can find that in Head of the Class. And again, that is available for pre-order at store.baseballamerica.com. So with all of that, let's get to this conversation I had with Cal Poly coach Larry Lee. Coach, it's uh, it's an exciting time of year into the fall. Just uh, we're, we're happy to have you on the program to to talk about some Mustangs baseball. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Teddy. And uh, yeah, look forward to it. And it's the uh, you know you're cautiously optimistic at this time of the year. And it's the time of year where you try to iron out a lot of things and get get players' experience, see what they can and can't do. And you know, there's no consequences right now for you know, some of the the things that we're trying to do. It's not causing us ball games yet. So uh, it's a good time of the year. It's great. Last year, or from last year's team, you're turning an awful lot in the lineup, a little bit different pitching staff going into next year. How, uh, how do you kind of manage that in the fall when you have uh, one group so experienced and another group still kind of uh, finding itself a little bit? Well, obviously early stages, uh, we left, Two key components last year, Bobby I was, was a starter for us, and Michael Clark, who threw out of the bullpen, uh, would throw multiple times during the week. So the only proven pitcher that we have back is Taylor Dollard, and he threw out of the bullpen, pitched in the Cape. Uh, and we're going to you know, convert him to a starter. So he's the one guy that has uh, experience plus success. Uh, we have some other pitchers that have experience, and especially from a – a starting standpoint, but they, they really haven't had that, that much success. So you have Darren Nelson on the mound, uh, uh, Andrew Alvarez, and Chase Watkins. Uh, all three of those, um, you know, got starts, uh, pitched in meaningful games, but uh, kind of limited success. Uh, we do like uh, four of our freshmen that we brought in, uh, Derek True from Santa Barbara High School, uh, Drew Thorpe from, from Utah, Caden Sheedy from Bakersfield and, and uh, Kyle Scott from Southern California. They're really progressing. They have some feel of, of what they're doing. Sheedy, Sheedy's just coming back. Uh, 
he hadn't really thrown uh, since the end of his high school year, so he didn't throw him the ball. He had some shoulder issues, and we're just now getting him off the mound and, and looks good. But True and Thorpe, you know, they, you know, you don't want to really say this, but, you know, they have the ability to come in right now, and they, they have something that maybe some of our other pitchers don't have, like like Thorpe has a plus changeup, and True commands his fastball. So uh, we're hoping to get a mixture of of those uh, pitchers and try to figure out who are going to be our, you know, three or four starters and then who's going to be able to come out of the bullpen. Bullpen's been very important for us uh, over the last couple of years to where, you know, we, we maybe only have one or two possible uh, quality starters and we turn it over to a couple guys. So I think uh, in all but two of our wins last year, uh, Bobby I, um, Dollard, and uh, I'm already forgetting him. He's outside on my Michael Clark. Uh, those three guys threw in tw- uh, all but two of those games, all but two of those wins. So uh, shows you how important those guys were. And you lose two out of the three. So, but you, you know, especially in pitching, I, I really never know who are going to be the main contributors. Uh, when the season unfolds, uh, you kind of have an idea, but you don't want to put too much weight in, in how they look in the fall because I don't know how it is at other programs, but sometimes position-wise or pitcher-wise, like the, the best position guy in the fall sometimes ends up to be the, the worst guy in the spring. It's just you don't know because you're always playing against each other. You don't know if you're you know bad at pitching because our hitters are, are feasting on them or vice versa. So... Um, but as long as our guys continue to develop, you know, that's all you can ask. And, uh, you know, we have a long way to go though. Hitting, uh, the, the, the position players coming back, they're much more experienced. Um, what, what do you like about that group as you look to 2020 and, and the lineup that you can put out there? Well, what, what you just said, they're a year older. I mean, probably in the 17 years pre- previous that, that I was here, it's probably the, the, the for lack of better terms, it was the worst offensive team that I've had. We were very, we didn't have very much. We we didn't have athleticism, speed, uh, strength. Uh, so it was it was a very much a down year. But some of them went out and had good summers. They're continuing to develop their you know swing mechanics, uh, thinking that we brought in some younger players that you would hope that would step in right away. Uh, and then with the addition of Scott Ogren, who missed the entire, uh, his entire season last year, which would have been a junior. He's a retro junior this year. He had infection in his foot and it, uh, it, it didn't get, uh, uh, he didn't get healthy until probably a month and a half ago. So it was over a year that it took to, uh, get back and and uh with the, his addition now there's going to be internal competition there's going to be players that have played a lot in the past that will be good backup players good role players you know barring injury so uh you know we have an ex- ex- experienced catcher and we brought in a junior college kid so miles emerson returns for a senior year behind the plate so that's a position that you have to be good defensively and have to understand uh, you know, what we need as a coaching staff, uh, 
whether it's information, uh, game information with, with the hitters or just being able to communicate with the pitchers in the bullpen and, and during a game and understanding that, you know, they're, they should be credited with half the success of a, of a pitcher during a game. So we have him and a uh, uh, kidney Brett Wells, who's a transfer from a junior college in Southern California. So, you know, we have two capable catchers. Uh, and like I said, if barring injury, it's a, a much better offensive and defensive uh, lineup from a position player standpoint. So, you know, that's, that's what we need to do. So now we need to, you know, I try to like infield wise, try to you know, teach our players to play, you know, multiple positions, probably, you know, start them out at shortstop and then, then move them to second, third, and then occasionally, you know, you'll have a, a shortstop that maybe can hit hit a little bit that he can move to first base. But this group is, is uh, just has a much higher ceiling than, than last year's group did. You mentioned some of the younger players coming in. One of those is, is your son, Brooks, just, uh, you know, what's that going to be like now uh, with that dynamic? And, you know, Brooks was one of the, the most highly regarded uh, prep prospects in California last year. Just what, what does he bring to the table as a, as a player? Well, you know, he, he's, uh, he, he does some things pretty well uh, from an offensive and defensive standpoint. Uh, what separates him right now is that, you know, no stage is too big. He, he's he's comfortable, uh, you know, in a perceived you know high pressure situation. Uh, he just plays the win, and so you know he should be somebody that you know hits in the middle lineup, plays middle middle of the the diamond, and and just adds some confidence to the uh, to the equation. And then we brought in a couple of other. Uh, players, Nick Marincon, uh, from Northern California, high school kid that I had his brother Kyle a few years back. And Nick's a little bit more athletic than, than Kyle was. He's a right-handed hitter. Uh, he can play all at three infield positions. Uh, and a kid named Tyson Corio, uh, a very young junior college transfer from Delta up in Northern California. He's a sophomore, but he's actually younger than our, our incoming freshman. But he's more, he's more of a second baseman switch hitter. So, you know, those three in the infield, if they continue to develop, should, uh, you know, uh, make our team uh, much, much better and uh, allows us to uh, move other guys around. So they're, they're all three kind of shortstops. Corey is more of a second baseman. But, you know, most of our guys that we have uh, in the infield are, are ex shortstops outside of a maybe one of our first basemen, but uh, we just we try to move them around wherever we can. You yourself have a, a very strong reputation as, as a hitting coach. Just where, what do you kind of try and preach to these guys to, uh, you know, to, to keep them on, on the right path uh, as, as you coach them up? You know, there's, I don't, it's not a cookie-cutter approach, but there's, there's a lot of common denominators, and it's, when when you do something for so long and and uh, and watch video, I mean, back I think this is maybe thirty seventh year in coaching, but wow. all the way back in the the mid eighties was was utilizing video and breaking down things and and I want to make them their own best coach, so I wanted to understand 
uh, the mechanic. I want to understand, you know, faults and fixes uh, and be able after a year or two that, you know, they could go out and, and teach uh, a younger kid how to hit. And a lot of them are able to, to do that. So, you know, if they're a good body awareness guy, you can make those adjustments fairly quickly. If they're not a very good body awareness guy, it, it, it's, it's going to take some time and, and it's not going to happen overnight. But, you know, there's some, some things I believe in, but if you can get a guy that can elevate, hit elevated line drives with backspin to probably two thirds of the field, they're probably doing some things correctly. But if they're, if they're hooking the ball and slicing the ball the opposite field, then uh, there's probably some holes in their swing. And, you know, when they face, I, I try to always uh, develop these guys so when they go into professional ball, they're able to swing a, a wood bat, be successful against those high end pitchers with velocity and late movement and better off-speed pitches and so there's a number of things it's a, it's it would be a, a long answer <laughs> but it, it it's you know and and what you might tell one hitter is not what you're going to tell the other hitter because there's you know there's some hitters i say uh you know think about hitting line drive uh on the infield dirt and that loose that lightens up their backside and it gets their it flattens out their swing and gets it, you know, more on plane. And they're trying to hit line drives and infield dirt, and they're they're launching balls. You know, they're they're really back swinging balls in the alleys. And other guys that, you know, are just the opposite. I try to say, you know, try to hit the ball two thirds way up the the light towers in the outfield, and that does the same thing. It gets them on plane. So th- there's different ways to uh, approach individual hitters, and you just have to. There's a lot of trial and error, and there's a lot of Drills. I'm not a gimmick guy, but there's some, there's some, like I said, common denominators. I think that are that usually. Cause I I don't get the guys that, you know, like like Sheffield's bat wiggle or Julio Franco or you know you could probably pick out some guys in the major league now. I can't you know teach a guy like Derek Jeter to stay inside the ball and be on his heel and have 3,600 hits. I mean it's like <laughs> my guys can't can't do that. So um, it, it's more of a basic approach. And then once they kind of gain those fundamental skills, then they can kind of reach out a little bit more. And, and, uh, if they, if they need to have a signature to their swing, then they can, can, uh, um, you know, go from there. But, you know, I, I, I've always believed in, in, I think everything that we hear about nowadays, all the technology, it goes in cycles and, for me, touching the ball is important, and you know I, I'm not a uh, I, I I don't like the fact of the high strikeout guy things like that, and you know you can talk analytics, but I just think uh, touching the ball, adjusting with two strikes, hitting you know hitting elevated line drives, and you know obviously if you hit the ball hard and it, it's good things will happen. So you you don't need analytics to tell you that. It's just uh, you can kind of see it with your own eye, and you, you have an idea of what's going to be successful against the, the better pitching, uh, and what gives you a better chance to you know hit with a wood bat and and uh, finding gaps or hitting over guys' heads. So, and and also it's like you're probably not going to you know th- there's guys that crush the ball and it's 370 feet, but it's going to be an out every time because of their their strength or their stature. So you know why would you why would you you know stay with that philosophy just because it says 
says that it's a well hit ball because because that ball's not dropping anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's very very fascinating stuff. All just all encompassing on, on the hitting front, and you've certainly had some good hitters in your program over the years. That's kind of been one of the hallmarks. Another one is the way you schedule, which is usually pretty ambitious. Uh, this year, for instance, coming coming up, you have the MLB Four tournament to open the year in Arizona against Vanderbilt, UConn, and Michigan. Then you have another series against Michigan. Uh, you're playing Baylor and Oklahoma. Um, just what what goes into your scheduling philosophy there for for the non-conference? Well, you know, and sometimes like last year we had a, a quality schedule. We went to Washington, Oklahoma, Baylor, and we we didn't fare very well. We just didn't have, you know, the the team that can compete with those guys. And we didn't, you know, the last three years we've kind of figured out to win ball games by conference time. But you know, as a coach, I mean. I just like different experiences. I, I would rather play the best of the best. I'd, you know, uh, I, I would like to do home and homes, but if we have to go someplace, you know, I want our players to experience that, and I want them because because the good ones want to uh, be in that environment. And you know, to be good, you have to figure out how to be comfortable and how to have a quiet mind in, in those situations. And uh, I think it's a good learning experience. Sometimes we're ready for it. Sometimes we aren't. We used to be ready uh, in the past for a number of years. And, and for whatever reason, we, we haven't really been ready, uh, you know, the first game of the, of, the, of the year. So, you know, we're hoping that that changes. Uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult now because starting next year uh, in the 2021 season, uh, Bakersfield and uh, UC San Diego come into our conference. And so now instead of 24 conf- conference games, we get 30. Instead of seven non-conference series, we have five. And so, you know, in theory, you're taking, you're, you're taking a Baylor and an Oklahoma out of the equation uh, on a particular year. So it's going to be difficult for us, uh, especially for, you know, we do these, I do these schedules, you know, three, four, five years out, and it's it's tough to get teams to agree and it's tough to get them, like I said, the home and home. So, uh, and we just, uh, next year's schedule in 21, I mean, we just had two two power five cancellations and what looked like a, a real quality schedule now just got, uh, you know, it just went the opposite way. It's just a very, you know, very average or below average schedule where I had a uh, an SEC series on the road and I had a, a big a big 10, ten team uh, coming here they both canceled and that's kind of who we are right we're kind of a mid-major and if it kind of doesn't fit into their plans then then uh, that's that's the problem so but we just deal with it and, and uh, try to do it, it, you know whatever we can. I do like the, the, the schedules. It probably should be more of a, you know, two high end. If you had six open weekends, two high end, uh, uh, programs that you could play two that are very equal and two that maybe, maybe you can get some wins, but haven't done that in the last few years. And you can kind of see by our record, we're just kind of hovering, you know, at 500 or right over 500 the last three years. Yeah, last year I think it was 500, but you finished second in the Big West, just a couple games behind UCSB. You're trying to get back to the tournament for the first time in a, a few years now. What, what, what has to happen 
uh, to, to take that step now? Just being out in the West and not being the pack, I think now, you know, this year may be a little different, but next year, I mean, basically you got to win, win the conference. So now it's going to be an 11-team conference. I mean, you saw what Irvine did this year or this past season. You know, they, they won 37 games. Uh, they won 13 series. They only played 54 games. They had two legit guys at the top of the rotation on the weekends and an older team that could hit and play defense. And I don't even, I, you know, I don't know where they landed, but they, they might not even been in the last, you know, the, the last four outs. Uh, so it shows you where our conference is too. The Big West, we, we're respected, I think, only within the confines of, of uh, maybe baseball coaches. Uh, we, we used to kind of, you know, I went back for ten years, and you know, we were like fifth, ranked the fifth you know, uh, highest conference and then, then six, and then we jump and, and now we're, we're in double digits and it's going to get worse now too, with the addition of two more teams. And, you know, it's nothing against Bakersfield or, or UC San Diego, but it's great for them. It's just, it just adds two more teams and it's, it's difficult out here to, you know, some, when, when we have a high RPI, I, I can't even figure out why we have a high RPI. Obviously it's just winning games. And I don't think it, has anything to do with strength of schedule. Uh, I just think that you have to win, but the wins out here are very difficult. You know, your, your, your midweek games are against quality uh, opponents. Uh, for us individually as a team, we just have to get better players. I just, I just think we, we, you know, the, uh, a few years back, the draft really hurt us where we lost a couple of extra players on our team that were frontline guys that I didn't think would get drafted. I thought they were more senior signs. And then we combined that with losing a couple of high-level uh, high school kids. And basically, we we didn't recover. We just, we had, uh, you know, two or three classes that were not not very good. And that's that's why we're in the position we're in. And, you know, we're, we've been, last three years in the Big West, we've played second all three years. But those are... You know, it's, 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 they haven't been very talented teams. And so we just have to kind of guess right more. I mean, our, our recruiting, you know, not, not too many, not too many kids want to go to Cal Poly, you know, to, to be honest. And, um, you know, it's the pack first. We'll lose out to those guys uh, the majority of time. And so the guys we're getting, we just have to guess right, and we just have to kind of predict the future and have them develop. And when we were good, I mean, in 2012, 13, 14, those three years, we won more games than anybody in California. So we won more than you know UCLA and Fullerton and Stanford. Um, and those guys weren't highly recruited. I mean, I could go over the lineup of the of 13, 14, and it was like. They're what they they were getting recruited if they were getting recruited by lower end schools outside of maybe one or two guys you know in, during those three years so we just guessed right and we had a, we had enough freshmen sophomores juniors and a couple seniors that kind of kind of developed at, at the same time and we were able to ride it out for a, a few years but I think a mid major out here it's difficult to you know have like a five or six year 
run where you're you're competing each and every year. That's our goal. I mean, but we just we we have we've we've had our spurts and we just haven't been able to you know elongate it and, and stretch it out to where where you would like it. I mean, you would like to be a you know a regional team two out of every three years or three out of every five years. But if if you look at who's getting the regional bids out here, I mean, there's there's some droughts with with uh, quite a few programs. Absolutely, and I mean, we saw this year even with Fullerton, you know, one of the longest streaks in the game finally gets yeah. broken, and it's uh, like you said, it's not getting any easier as as everyone you know works harder and and uh, you know all the competition and everything that goes into all of the metrics and everything. Well, again, like like you know, I mentioned Irvine. Ir- Irvine could have got to Omaha. Very easily. I like I mean, that team. Yeah, yeah, they're they're legit. They're well coached. They they have the players. And the frustrating thing is that, and and we've been on that end a couple of times. We, we've we've uh, like my third year here. I go out, and that's why I kind of put. I go up. Let's make a regional by our third year here. And we were thirty six and twenty. Fullerton and Long Beach were like legit. They had the Weavers and the Little John, and they they had they had they were at a, a completely different level. And we were t- second place, two games out. We were tied with Long Beach. And our, our starting pitchers were big leaguer, big leaguer, big leaguer, third rounder, fourth rounder. I mean, those were our five pitchers that, that we used. And we had quality guys on the field. We, I, I don't even think we were, like, last, last four in. And then it happened again with Hanniger and Mike Miller, who, you know, both big leaguers, that we could have hit our way through a regional. And so, you know, I've been on then that in two or three times, and that's what becomes frustrating. And we, we, you see no light at the end of the tunnel. And then, like I said, when an Irvine does that with the team that they had and the schedule, they played a good schedule. It's like, you know, how are we going to get back to getting not three or four teams from the Big West in? How are we just going to get two teams in? Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's. That's going to be something to watch going forward because, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we're working with a lot of forces here just from all sides, and you yeah. want to see it. You want to, like, these teams are good. Well, well, and, and like I said, like, Fullerton's, uh, there's been some very uh, kind of below-average Fullerton teams, and... Um, and and uh, those teams have reached the World Series, and it's like they they have the mindset, and you know they're the they're the one program that's just going to continue to to flourish because the the mindset is so ingrained, and, and you know, bookies just part of that 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 chemistry that they have, and I don't think you can mess that, that place up. <laughs> no one has yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've always said that. I go, it's it's great, and it's uh, but it it's uh, you know that that that's always the uh, flagship of the Big West. But you know, I think we had a four year stretch where you know we had a Big West uh, make the College World Series. And I think three of different teams that 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 made it, and yeah. so it's a it's a quality conference. It's not. A, quite as strong as it, as it, as it has been. And, uh, but we're hoping to, for the whole conference to kind of get back on track and, and raise the level. And I think a lot has to do, I think 10 years ago, a lot of the 
conferences. A lot of the teams from outside of the West were, were not in California. Uh, you might have a few teams, but I don't think Vanderbilt or Auburn or, or um, um, you know, some of those teams were, were ever in California. And now I'm guessing they take 60, 70 quality players out. You know, Baylor last year, Baylor, Steve Rodriguez has his California ties with Pepperdine, but they had, they had eight California kids on their team and three of the four starting infielders were from California. And so, you know, we, we, we might get two of those kids in the past and then, and, you know, other teams in the big West get two and, and it just, it, it changes the whole product that you put on the field. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I, I've really enjoyed uh, visiting with you here today. I just have one more question. We can get you out of here on that. And uh, you've been at Cal Poly for 18 years now. Just what, what's your favorite part of, of being a part of that community, of the San Luis Obispo community, just being a, uh, the, the head coach there? Well, you know, I, 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 was, I was born here. My dad was a coach at, at Cal Poly from – he was here from like 1952 to, I think, 1988. So he coached baseball, basketball, football, and boxing. And so I was brainwashed. So, you know, I had two, two older brothers and my dad, and, and uh, we all played you know, all, th- all three sports and then kind of knew we would continue baseball-wise. Uh, and so I just I wanted to be a head coach, and uh, I wanted to live in, in San Luis. So there's two places. You know, I, I went away for – for college and, and uh, pro ball, came back, got my master's at Poly, and I was an assistant two years at, at Cuesta Junior College, and then one year at Poly back in the, the mid '80s, and then the Cuesta job came open, uh, and then uh, stayed there for 16 years, and then this, this job uh, came open, and I was at that time I was I was happy where I was at, but I just. I knew I needed to take this this job and did so. Now this is my 18th year coming up. So the the area is great. There's not a better place to live. Family was always first. I I I'm, I don't have the the ego uh, to have to do something to you know be f- fulfilled. So you know before the before the Cubs won the World Series, I always said that you know I'd rather be the manager of the Cubs and the Yankees I'd rather try to put my you know thumbprint on on a on a program and, and start from the ground on up than take over something that was that was rolling so I don't know I just it's again just who, who I am the living where I want to live uh raising my family where I wanted to raise them was was it, it wasn't even a consideration of of going elsewhere unless it was, you know, at the right time in the right place where, where maybe I would stay there for a number of years and then eventually move back here to retire. But, uh, hoping to have a, you know, quite a few more years to, to coach and, and, uh, you know, as long as I still enjoy it, but the, the losing kills you. I mean, to, to be honest, I mean, that's the, the one thing that would drive me out of the game. It's just, it's, it's, tough and, and baseball is that type of a, a sport where you're going to lose a lot of ball games but uh, I just you know want to be competitive I want to be able to match up with anybody that we play and and put out a good product and and uh, you know be in the running for you know postseason that that's 
that's really what you want. And, you know, as long as we're developing good players, that's, that's, you know, I owe it to them each and every day to, to teach and develop and to try to get, you know, get them prepared for the next level, if, if at all possible. Absolutely. Well, I'll be looking forward to, uh, to seeing you guys this spring. I'm probably going to see you guys uh, out, out there in that opening weekend tournament. That should be a fun one. So we'll, uh, we'll be very excited to see how the Mustangs uh, progress here in 2020. Okay. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Love the, the work that you do. And uh... All right. Our thanks again to Cal Poly coach Larry Lee for joining the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, you were not able to be a part of that conversation uh, live when it happened, but you, uh, you've heard it now. What, uh, what stood out to you from, from what Larry was talking about, especially with regards to, to the Mustangs uh, as they look to 2020? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's certainly, um, well, first of all, I'm certainly, you know, was impressed kind of by the way he's just kind of a nerd about uh, what he does, particularly uh, from a hitting standpoint. And, and I mean that in the, in the best possible way. And it's easy to see why, you know, people often mention him as one of the best in the, in the business. Um, you know, if, if he takes that kind of care uh, and, and is that thoughtful about kind of answering questions here on the podcast and was that meticulous about it, you can only imagine the kind of instruction he's giving in a, in a practice setting or uh, within the games making adjustments. So that, that kind of struck me there. And, and um, you know, certainly Cal Poly is a team that, that I'm interested to see because he, he alluded to some of the stuff that's happened. I mean, they were they were so, so good. And I actually went back and looked at that 2014 team before we started recording today, and I'd kind of forgotten just how crazy good that team was, um, you know, on both sides of the ball, frankly. And so I was reminded of that. And, and they just they have had, had a, kind of a tough run. He alluded to you know, getting hit by the draft and in a program like Cal Poly, you know, in, in any program, frankly, that's not Vanderbilt, LSU, one of those, those uh, big heavy hitters in college baseball, getting hit in the draft can be something that you don't recover from for several years. Um, and that was, you know, maybe kind of the case here. And I, I seem to remember, and you know, I don't remember the specifics of it, but I seem to remember they've had a couple of years where they had a key injury here or there that's really kind of torpedoed what otherwise might've been promising seasons. And, um, you know, he got into some of the challenges they have, and, and I, I suppose we'll discuss that a little bit later on, challenges for that program and just the Big West in general. But, um, you know, so it's it's not an easy place necessarily to win. I think maybe some people look at, uh, you know, some of the stu- the location geographically of that program and think maybe, you know, they should be a little more successful. But they're, you know, they're, uh, you know, they've, they've been a successful program, just maybe not to the extent that they would have liked. And, um, but I certainly think there's upward, um, uh, some, um, potential upward potential for this this program not just in 2020 but moving forward the the thing you're talking about with the hitting is you know larry's one of the most respected hitting coaches in the country and you know you you definitely hear it come through and all of that stuff was was very interesting to hear you know that that's a big part of why they keep producing good position players at that school Um, they have good pitchers too Spencer Howard's currently the Phillies' number one prospect. Speaking of the the, the prospect lists starting at Baseball America, uh, you know Spencer Howard, Cal Poly product is, is number one on that list. But you know you, you think about where they were in 2014 when they hosted a regional, and you know I I know at times I I've thought you know well, why can't they you know build on that a little more than they have and but it's a uh, you know like you're saying it's a uh, it's a challenging place. Uh, when you think about it, even geographically, yes, they're in SoCal, although they're like borderline not in what Southern Californians 
consider Southern California. If you right. look on a They're map, like ostensibly SoCal. Yeah, yeah. Like I look on a map as a Midwesterner and I say that's in the southern part of the state, but Kyle Glazer has tried to tell me and Carlos repeatedly that Cal Poly is actually in NorCal, but they're they're not close to LA ultimately. And so you know, getting people to come up there, whether we're talking about recruits or whether we're talking about, you know, opposing teams, it's not necessarily as easy as, you know, a Fullerton or a Lawn Beach or an Irvine, you know, and, and so that that has various implications. And uh, I do like the team this year, though. I like that freshman class. I like what they have coming back. Yes, they have to figure out a lot on the mound. You know, we talked about the pieces they're missing there and, and how it's going to look different. But I do like the the returning core of hitters they have. Bradley Beasley's a great guy to have in the lineup as a fourth year player. Um, you know, that's a guy you can really build around. And uh, you know, if if some of these freshmen can can step into roles, uh, be it on the mound or, or in the lineup, finding their way into the lineup, then then I think that that Cal Poly can uh, you know, make another solid run at this. And the other thing is that they've been like finishing second or third in the Big West the last few years, they just haven't been able to build the non-conference resume to have any chance of getting into the postseason. They've been about a 500 overall team, even though they're one of the better couple teams in the Big West. And that kind of brings us to a larger point that I wanted to talk about today, which is just kind of where the Big West fits in everything, because we have this team that, it's been consistently finishing near the top in Cal Poly hasn't made the tournament in the last few years. And, you know, the big West is a league that we look at and we think of traditionally as a multi-bid league. And it hasn't been that, um, they have produced Omaha teams since then, but it does seem like the, the peak of the big West when we're, we're thinking about the, the Long beach teams with, with Weaver and Tulo and, Longoria and the the great Fullerton teams, uh, you know, 04 national champs and just doing what they did on a national stage that seems we're a little removed from that at this point, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Coach Lee alluded to it a little bit um, in the interview that, you know, there were some teams there that some Fullerton teams in recent years that were you know, fairly mediocre for large stretches of the regular season, and they just kind of figured it out in the postseason. And you know, the postseason's a fickle beast, too. You only have to really get, like, marginally hot in the postseason and just have some breaks go your way, and you end up in Omaha. And that's not to to downplay the accomplishment of doing so, but some of those Fullerton teams in recent years were, you know, not teams that I think if you looked up in April or May, you would have thought that's a team ticketed for Omaha, and they, and they managed to get to get there. So... Um, you know, if you take kind of that out uh, of the equation, suddenly you're kind of looking at a different story uh, with the Big West. There's been some high highs. Obviously, they had, you know, that uh, super regional with with, uh, you know, hosted at Long Beach a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, there, so there's been some some high highs for the league. But overall, it has been kind of, uh, you know, a downward trajectory. And, and I think I really appreciated his candor about it. And specifically, I think one thing that you know, uh, maybe doesn't get talked about when you talk about league strength a little bit is just how some of this conference realignment has has really hurt some of these leagues. He he talked a little bit about it with the teams they have coming in that are at least initially probably going to be teams at the bottom of the league. And the Big West is certainly not alone in that. I mean, I look at a, a league like the Southland Conference that, 
that, you know, I followed pretty closely for a while now. And um, some of the teams are starting to turn around a little bit. But for the most part, the teams that have moved up mostly have come to the league from moving up from Division Two have kind of been a drag on the league's RPI. And so if you're a team like Sam Houston two years ago that went 24 and six in the league, um, that's not a guarantee to get you an at-large bid, even if you win 40 games and you you dominate the league like that and you win a handful of non-conference games against the A&Ms and the Rice and, and the Houstons of the world. Um, and that used to be, you know, in a, in a different era of the Southland Conference, that probably would have been good enough. But Conference USA is another great example. I mean, they, they siphoned off a lot of their best teams, got siphoned off into the American Athletic Conference, and the teams that are now in there to replace them uh, just aren't of the same quality. And you, you could argue from a baseball standpoint that CUSA has been as hurt by conference realignment as any other league in the country. Uh, so it's not a big West problem. It's, it's you know, several of these leagues have had a similar issue. I think it's just uh, it, the Big West is going to be experiencing now at a time when you could argue they really can't afford to have that kind of drag on their RPI overall. Yeah, and that's not the first time I've heard concern about the way the Big West is going to look in the next couple of years. There are a lot of people in that league, I think, that see the the are disappointed with the way the realignment played out, that there's a feeling that basketball was prioritized uh, in a league that, isn't really that big of a basketball league and you know at the expense of baseball and you know so that's going to be that's something to watch as you know we we look at schools like Fullerton and Long Beach Irvine Cal Poly UCSB that are all pretty in on baseball you know we've seen an increased commitment from UCSB since they made those run the since they hosted their regional and then made Omaha the next year they they have increased their commitment to the sport uh, we know what Long Beach and Fullerton and Irvine want out of baseball and Cal Poly is pretty well invested as well and the top half of the league is fully in and you know I think it's fair to say Northridge at this point is is in on athletics in general but. You know, the, the bottom half of the league is, it's in a different spot, almost, I feel like. And there are RPI, there are real RPI anchors in that league. And, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know, but it, it's also not helped by the fact that they don't have football. You know, a lot of conferences in college athletics, if you don't have football, you're at you're seemingly at risk of getting left behind if you aren't a serious basketball power. You know, I'm not talking about the Big East. You know, even the West Coast Conference is able to rely on a lot of money coming from March Madness via Gonzaga and St. Mary's and, and other teams, you know, BYU having success on that stage, which then leads to a bigger share of CBS. Um, broadcast money coming into the league. The Big West doesn't really have either of these things. And it's uh, it's tough at, at some of these places, I think, w- without some of this bigger money siphoning down. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's an unfortunate byproduct of where we are in college athletics right now. But the environment is really tough on the Big West, which from a college baseball perspective is really unfortunate to see because these are traditional powerhouses. Everyone in college baseball knows how important Fullerton and Long Beach are. 
uh, knows the history of the the programs. And you know, right now, it's not they're they're not in a great spot relative to where they have been in recent history, even. Yeah, a couple things there. I mean, one, you make a good point about not having football, and it can cut both ways because I think the opposite example is a school like Dallas Baptist, which I mean, not only do they not have football, but baseball is the only Division One program, unless something has changed recently. I believe that's the case, and so they're kind of the crown jewel of that athletic department, and that has its benefits. But but you're right. I mean, not only just for the reasons you you suggest, but also I mean, it's just kind of. Um, you know, it's a way that you can promote your school and promote your brand. And, you know, if you're, if you're a school that has a big time football or basketball program, uh, you know, speaking of recruiting, these kids are seeing your brand year round and know you as more than just a, a baseball school. So it certainly cuts both ways. And I think you're right about the way in which it's hurt the big West. I, I also wonder, you mentioned the West coast conference there and made me think how much, maybe it's a minor factor. And I'd be curious your thoughts too. But, you know, the West Coast Conference is kind of feels like a little bit of an ascendant conference in some way. I mean, they were markedly better in the Big West last year by just about every measure in, you know, the RPI, et cetera. You know, and you've got a lot of programs that have, I mean, Gonzaga has really been steady at the top of that, at the top of that league. And BYU is clearly invested in baseball. They just brought in a top 25 recruiting class. You know, we'll see what St. Mary's does in the post-Eric Valenzuela era, but they've really been consistent. You know, LMU just got to a regional last year. Then, of then you've got, you know, Pepperdine, which historical power there, kind of similar, frankly, trajectory to the Big West powers in that way, where they're they're not maybe what they once were, but that's there's still some heft there. And then, you know, San Diego, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, San Diego was kind of the bell of the ball in terms of uh, mid-major programs on the West Coast. So, you know, I wonder if that's a little bit of what's going on here, too, is just that maybe there's a little bit more competition on the West Coast where a kid that might have gone to Fullerton or Beach or... Uh, you know, so one of those uh, Cal Poly, what have you on the West Coast is maybe now looking at a program like a St. Mary's or an LMU or a Gonzaga. I think there is to an extent, you know, I, th- I think there's something to this, but I'm not sure the West Coast Conference, what they've done recently is truly sustainable, first of all. Um, like, I think that it, it may have definitely been a factor the last few years, but St. Mary's before Eric Valenzuela got there was historically nothing. For, for baseball, um, had never been to the tournament, had never really competed. I think that's probably changed now. They, they tr- you know, they lose Valenzuela to Long Beach and get Greg Moore, who had success at San Francisco uh, before he went to, to Northridge and then wasn't really able to kickstart uh, Northridge. So I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I think that they... You know, having seen it, it be, the, the foundation that was laid, like, I don't think it's going away. Like, I think St. Mary's will be solid, but there are real challenges there. Uh, LMU is interesting because, of course, they also lost their coach. Jason Gill's now at USC. What's that going to look like? Uh, yeah, it wasn't that long ago that Bryant was at San Diego, but it hasn't really looked the same since Valenzuela and Jay Johnson, who were assistants at that time since since they left and, and Rich Hill hasn't really been able to recapture that kind of magic. So I don't know what the West Coast Conference is exactly going forward. Gonzaga and BYU are both really good. Pepperdine can't be ignored. These schools aren't going away, but I don't, it feels like the last couple of years may have been a bit of a high watermark, at least for right now with the WCC. I also wonder just in terms of like recruiting, because the way those conferences set up the WCC is almost exclusively, if not exclusively private. 
and the Big West is almost exclusively, if not exclusively, public. There are some really good schools in the Big West academically. But, you know, I, I think there is a little bit different kind of recruit going to each of those those schools. But what's hurting everyone out there, uh, with the exception of the the very tip top, like UCLA, Stanford group, is that where kids in the state of California weren't really leaving the state. Uh, Miami had a nice pipeline into Southern California for a while. You know, Ryan Braun, of course, went went to went to play for the for the Canes, but you're seeing a lot more players from that state leave and go east. If you look at SEC rosters, Big 12 rosters, even Big 10 rosters, look no further than Michigan's, you'll see a ton of California kids. You know, this this is a far broader thing, but you know, when you look at just the you know, the environments that you can go play in in the SEC or big time Big 12 baseball or even big time Big 10 baseball, it's different than what you get out in, in, on the West Coast. And so if some of those kids who were previously Pac-12 kids are now going elsewhere, well, now the Pac-12 has to reach down a little further, and then that hurts the Big West. I, I think the Big West might be getting squeezed from both sides on that. Yeah, we, I mean, there's an even, and we won't have this conversation now, but, um, but you know, there's even a larger conversation to be had about that. I mean, he mentioned specifically, you know, Baylor and Steve Rodriguez, former Pepperdine coach, kind of bringing a lot of that California talent down to Texas. And it's, you know, maybe the the next step of this conversation is, do does a guy like Rodriguez or Backich who has roots in California, do those guys even, you know, do they end up in jobs that in a previous iteration of a league like the Big West, it's a little bit stronger. Do they end up in jobs in other regions or do they end up kind of camping out on the West Coast because, you know, there are elite programs to be had out there and, and to, to be at the helm of. And, and so I don't I don't know if that's the case, but it's just kind of interesting, like, you know, another level of this where it's like, is the is the drain not just kind of the talent and then it, in, in the, you know, teams in the postseason and the RPI figures and all that, but also kind of the, the coaching movement where you know, uh, those types of guys end up at jobs that are outside of what you would assume are their natural geographic region. It, it's, it's very interesting. There, there's a lot going on here. And I do, I hope the Big West bottomed out. Uh, I, I hope this year was, was as low as it can go. I, I hope that some of the coaching changes that, that were made in that, in that league you know, can help. Eric Valenzuela, like we mentioned, is now at Long Beach. Um, I think that that's an outstanding hire that they made there. Troy Buckley obviously had some really high highs. It got very messy at the end, but Valenzuela has, you know, he's Southern California through and through. Like he won at St. Mary's where, like I said, no one had ever won before. Like he's going to have access to things at Long Beach that he didn't have before. And there are a ton of players just like on the on the doorstep of uh, of the university there. So I I think that 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 sets up really nicely. Of course, uh, Dave Serrano, our former colleague, now at now at CSUN, and you know that's a, a return to the West for him for him where he had so much success both at Irvine and at Fullerton, and you know, so I think that's exciting. And you know Ben Orloff was a first-year head coach last year at Irvine, but you know just as a young, fresh face there, and, and the success he had in his first season, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And you know then you look at Checkets choosing this season. Andrew Checkets, um, you know, had had a chance to leave Santa Barbara if he'd wanted to. You know there were open jobs on the West Coast that were interested, and he decided to stay 
that's obviously very good news for the league. And Fullerton isn't going to be, you know, last year was the first year in 30 years they missed the tournament. You have to assume the Titans are going to bounce back uh, pretty strong. And, you know, I, I like the changes that Rick Vanderhoek made after the season, bringing in uh, some new coaches. And, you know, I, I think that they're going to they're going to get back there. So I I'll be interested to see the league this year. I don't know that there's a true favorite. We were talking about a little bit about that a little bit before we came on air. You know, Santa Barbara lost, you know, a lot of hitters. They got some pitchers back. Uh, We talked about the reverse being true at Cal Poly. Fullerton was pretty young last year, so they've got some stuff coming back. And, you know, the, the league feels reasonably open right now. Yeah, it looks to me, so you mentioned that maybe the, the Big West bottomed out, and I think that's probably the case. I mean, these, these brands are, are too, uh, you know, are too, are too big in college baseball, and, and the, the coaches in this league, I think, are too quality by and large right now for, for it to, to necessarily go any lower. But I, I don't know that that'll be expressed in 2020 in the ways that we typically look at to, to, to look at the health of the league, because I don't, I, I, next year to the point about you, not, you, you saying there's not a clear front runner that we talked about, I think that's true. And so I think it's one of those years where the league might be kind of a jumbled mess a little bit when you figure, okay, let's Santa Barbara's not quite as good. And, you know, Irvine's got some pieces back, Trent Denholm chief among them, but maybe they're not quite as good. And maybe Polly's a little bit better and Fullerton's a little better and Northridge with, with Serrano in charge a little better. And Long Beach isn't as bad as they were uh, last year. And all of a sudden you've got kind of this like messy uh, league where the, the best team and the worst team really aren't that far apart. And, or at least the top, you know, five or six aren't that far apart. And, and what that ends up with is a lot of teams kind of, you know, kind of on the bubble, but not really any team running away with it, kind of carrying the flag for the league. So I just wonder if next year we see positive movement for the league and things like the quality of play from top to bottom, but we don't necessarily see it in terms of teams in the postseason and making deep runs. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. And, you know, one other thing I don't want to harp on on this bit, but and we talked about it in the interview with Larry, the scheduling philosophy. And he, like Rick Vanderhoek, like Long Beach has had, like a lot of these Big West schools have, are, it's basically anybody, anytime, anywhere. And what that lends, it leads to is playing a lot of Power 5 competition and a lot of it not necessarily being at home. A lot of it is at home. They, they, these schools can get big time you know, schools, schools to do home and homes with them. But I, I do kind of hope that some people out there are taking notice of how UCSB put together what it put together last year. And yes, they fell short of hosting. And so maybe you have to aim slightly higher than this. But UCSB didn't play any Power 5 competition on a weekend last year, still had an RPI that was pretty consistently in the top 20 until the very end and um, won a lot of games. And, and so I just wonder, like, I don't, you know, Fullerton's not going to stop playing teams like Stanford and Texas. You know, that's going to be part of their MO. But, you know, I, I feel like some of these schedules the last couple of years for some of these schools were just too much that, you know, you can't be running all over the place for the first six weeks trying to play as many premium schools as you can and i get that you know i have this conversation with troy buckley that the feeling was that that was how you got to host regionals 
and that that was very important. And I do fully understand that, but I don't know if right now the league and these schools are in a place where that can necessarily be the thing that you're you're trying to accomplish right now. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that, but you know, UCSB, if they just mixed in like one better series, maybe would have been a host last year. And, you know, they did that by playing at LMU, against Hartford, against Pepperdine, at Tulane, against Cal Baptist, against Missouri State, uh, and Stephen F. Austin. Like, these are good, solid programs, but, you know, there's no SEC program on there. There's no Big 12 program on there. There's no PAC program on there. So maybe that's something to think about for some of these schools as, as they look forward. Am I being too, like, pessimistic on, on what they can accomplish? Like, should they be aiming higher? I mean, I think you're right. I think there's definitely a middle ground. I think that's what, kind of what we're what we're looking for here is, um, you know, because you kind of look at some of those schedules. And, you know, I, Long Beach was the most extreme example. Long Beach is scheduled last couple of years. But, you know, I think certainly there needs to be, um, you know, and I had forgotten, you know, frankly, how, you know, even Cal Poly last year, you know, I just looked at their schedule a second ago. And I had frankly kind of forgotten how, you know, how difficult theirs was early on. And I think they went 0-9 in their first you know, three weekends. That's just, that's just tough. But um, yeah, certainly I think there's, you know, Santa Barbara had some tough luck too last year. I mean, Missouri state wasn't really supposed to be that bad. If their RPI is in the top hundred, they uh, maybe they end up, you know, hosting in the end. So there's some, definitely some bad luck there too, but I think it was fairly smart scheduling and, and finding those teams. And it, it's an inexact science. Cause you just, you don't really know exactly who's going to be in this sweet spot, but you, you know, you find the teams to your point that are solid and that, you know, we're not going to completely bottom out. Uh, you know, you want to mix in some quality teams, but you also don't want to put yourself in a situation where, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a team like, like, you know, Cal Poly or Long Beach in the past, you, you kind of know coming out of those first six weeks that uh, your chances of an at large are pretty much toast because even if you, even if you play really well in conference, you're just not going to have the quality wins. I mean, last year, you know, Cal Poly, their, their quad one, record was three and 12. And he, so even if their RPI had been 50 or 60 points higher and that record was five and 10, that's not going to do it either. So uh, certainly I think there needs to be a little bit of moderation there. It's going to be interesting to watch how, where the conference goes from here. I think that college baseball fans of a certain age, which isn't even that old, would really like to see the big West rebound. And, you know, as mid-major appreciators like joe and i are joe's maybe a little more mid-major enthusiast i'm a mid-major appreciator uh you know I, w- I would like to see you know some more big west flavor in the ncaa tournament and ultimately in omaha you know it's fun when fullerton or santa barbara or irvine or beach or whoever is there and you know, it, it would it would be great to see some more of these programs having success at the level to which we had become accustomed to. Yeah, I mean, let's. It, it, it seems like a, I mean, simple is not to say it's easy, but I think kind of uh, to the extent there's a it's a fix. I think it's you know if, if Allen's way that kind of gets Long Beach going and you know Fullerton kind of has this one year miss in the tournament doesn't turn into a trend. Like you know you can see a, a fairly simple. Uh, turnaround for the Big West where, you know, Fullerton's back to being Fullerton and, and beaches in the mix. And then suddenly, you know, it's okay that Santa Barbara and Cal Poly are, are programs that kind of mix in every couple of years and aren't being asked to carry the flag for the league. So there's a lot to digest there. We, uh, 
we, we I enjoy that topic. Um, I really appreciate Larry Lee for being as open as he was with some of that to to kind of touch us off there because it, it, it's just a very intriguing way that college athletics, you know, hit the the broader pieces of ch- college athletics has intersected with with baseball and the impact that it has had on it. And uh, ultimately, it it just looks a lot different now than it did two or three decades ago. But um, you know, there there is there's a lot of tradition out there, and you know that's that's definitely something to be appreciated, and and hopefully something that can be brought back. Um, and yes, I am about to segue into ahead of the class plug because if you are nostalgic for the Big West's glory days, uh, make sure to check out Head of the Class uh, over at store.baseballamerica.com where you can learn all about how you know Long Beach and Fullerton rose to prominence and some of their best years, best players, best teams of the last four decades were definitely Big West players. You know, I mentioned guys like Tulo and Weaver, but you know, you think about the Fullerton National Championship teams and uh, Mark Kotze, what he was able to do, uh, you know, one of the, the greater uh, players that college baseball has ever seen. So if you are a, a Big West fan, I, I think you would very much enjoy that. So check that out at store.baseballamerica.com. Do it for Jason Windsor and Chad Cordero. Chad Cordero throwing out the first pitch of the World Series just a couple weeks ago. How about that? Absolutely. Uh, Fullerton and Nationals, apparently. Legend. (laughs) Uh, That is what we've got for you this week. Remember to subscribe to the Baseball America College Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you're listening to podcasts, we're we're probably there. So make sure you're subscribed so you can get the latest content from us when it comes out. And while you're at it, if you can rate and review us, we would very much appreciate that. It does help other people to find the podcast. Like I mentioned, next week is signing day. Next week's podcast will therefore be based around signing day and will probably be published later in the week either on Wednesday or Thursday, as signing day is on Wednesday. Um, So look for that next week. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is Joe Healy, BA. And make sure to check out all of the content over at BaseballAmerica.com. There is a lot of it, even though it is now November and there is no baseball being played anywhere. But uh, at Premier 12 and in, in the Winter Leagues, You can also get coverage of that over at BaseballAmerica.com if you're so interested. Uh, So we will be back here next week. Thanks again to Larry Lee for joining us. Thanks to Joe for joining me as always. And thanks to you for listening. (laughs) 